In the mythical land of Florin, the sinister Prince Humperdinck has chosen the most beautiful woman in the land as his bride. But Buttercup is still in love with her darling Wesley, who was killed by pirates some years ago. But when Wesley suddenly reappears to save her from marrying a monster, he will need help from a vengeful Spaniard and a friendly giant. All this and more in the 1987 fantasy adventure, The Princess Bride. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Colton Jenkins. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast and Happy Valentine's Day. In honor of true love, we're discussing one of the greatest love stories ever put to film, The Princess Bride, a delightful fantasy comedy that has become a genuine classic over the years. Uh, What's your history with The Princess Bride? This is going to come as a shock to everybody. Genuinely, not my dad this time, not even my family, my English teacher. We We had to read the book in English class, and I thought the book was not well written then. I still do today, but fuck, do I love the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of those lightning in a bottle, pure 80s fantasy, just amazing uh, film that has stood the test of time because you can tell everybody involved in this really, really cared about it. Absolutely. It's also, this is a weird observation, but does it... It also feels like a movie that was made to be a movie. Like the scene where Wesley and Inigo are fighting and he does that like, like that, like it looks like a movie set. And I think that was done on purpose. Yeah. Well, well, the whole, we got the framing device of, you know, Fred Savage and Peter Falk, the grandson and the grandfather reading this book. So that the movie is what Fred Savage is seeing as he's hearing his grandfather tell him this story. So he's imagining what this would look like. That's why it looks kind of fake at times because he is picturing this as kind of a schlocky Douglas Fairbanks pirate movie. That's cool. So yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it that way. So we're watching Fred Savage's imagination. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, this one for me, I discovered um, from my mother, and she wanted to show me this movie that she loved from her childhood. And I, you know, I've always been a big fantasy guy, and I watched this movie. And from the second it started, I was like, "Yep, I, I like this a lot. This is a fun movie." Became one of my favorites. Of just, it's an easy five out of five uh, stars for me. It's it's, one, it's a fantastic film. I've always been, I don't know what it is about 80s movies, but I fucking love them. There's 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 this 80s vibe that it that just exists in those films. And it's so yeah. evident and hard to explain, but you understand it if you just watch like three of them. And I love that vibe. I'm so nostalgic about the 80s, despite the fact that I did not exist in the 80s. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had a family member show me this movie because that's the kind of movie or book or story, you know, that um, that's the kind of story it seems like it should be because, you know, the story is 
it's being read to someone. It is like a bedtime fantasy story. Yeah, one of the things you know, I, I one of the things I'm looking forward to, like I do want to have kids someday, and I'm looking forward to, you know, showing them my favorite movies, getting to sh- you know, mm. be who introduces my kids to like Star Wars and Back to the Future and Terminator and The Princess Bride and like getting to to be the guy to open those gates is going to be the most rewarding experience of my life, and I can't wait to do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. This movie- I don't think I want to have kids, but I'll show my cat. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you have siblings, like you know, you could be the fun uncle. That's true. I could, yeah. I don't have siblings, so it's either have kids or I don't get to do anything. No, well. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the step uncle. You can be the godfather. Yeah, hopefully, you know, my wife has siblings, and then in which case I'm back. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh you know when um when Austin's uh daughter Willow was born, the way he told me. He texted me, uh, you're an uncle, Connor. And I about started crying. Oh, it's one of the most touching moments of my life. That's so cute. Austin, if you're listening to this, you're the fucking best. <laughs> um, so my question to you, we're doing this on uh, this comes out on Valentine's Day, you know, mm. of love. And the Princess Bride is very much a love story, a beautiful story of, you know, true love, defying all odds, defying death itself. And I'm wondering, what are some of your other favorite non-traditional cinematic love stories? Like, what do you got? Non-traditional? Yeah. So, like, uh, not not your, like, you know, your Notting Hills or your Love Actuallys, but, like, movies that might not be about love, but have just a, a wonderful love story inside of them. Um, Does 50 First Dates count? Totally. Absolutely. I think that's kind of a fucked up. But, you know, whatever. Fifty First Dates is a wonderful love story. Um, fuck. Uh, in a way, Star Wars. There's a romance in there. Um, I think uh, I Love You, Man, is a romantic movie. I don't care what anyone says. That's a great, yeah, a romantic movie. That's a Yeah, good, I love that movie. There's not enough movies about a solid friendship being developed. Like, you don't yeah, see I know. That, but I love, I love those movies. Yeah. Um, I will die on this hill. Lord of the Rings is a romance between, um, Sam and Frodo. One hundred percent. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, one hundred percent. Sam was in love with Frodo. I would. All right, I would back that up if he hadn't married Rosie Cotton and had like six kids when he got back to the Shire. <laughs> yeah. Um, shit, what else? I mean, my spot now I can't think. Yeah, what are yours? What are yours? My my favorite, I know this is not a surprise if you know me at all, but Back to the Future, man. That that movie is the George and and uh finding each other is so so good. Great in that movie when he just decks Biff and she finally sees him as you know a strong capable person and he sees himself as a strong capable person and they fall in love and they kiss at the dance and marty saves his family tree it's like it might be my favorite movie moment of all time it's so wholesome especially when george like waves at marty saying like you know thank you my yeah. god and it's fucking perfect <laughs> oh, i'd also argue um shrek oh fucking shrek is so good yeah oh 
when you first, you know, when I first saw Shrek, I thought it was just, you know, going to be this goofy, you know, ogre messes with people kind of fart joke movie. But yeah. it is that. But it is also so much more than that. The It's about love, it, like finding, you know, love kind of finding you and falling for somebody for the right reasons, for who they are, not for what they look like. And yeah. just wholesome that whole relationship is between Shrek and Fiona. And it's it's wonderful. That whole franchise just reflects the development of life better than maybe any other franchise. You know, the first film is about falling in love. The second film is about meeting the in-laws. The third film is about being afraid to become a father. And the fourth film is about having a midlife crisis, thinking maybe you didn't do enough before you got hitched. Oh, man. Like, there you go, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shrek is a is a cinematic masterpiece. I don't care oh. how stupid that makes me sound. 100%. Oh no, dude! You're in you're in the good company. We we love Shrek over here. It's it's Shrek's so good. <laughs> um, her honestly, I fucking love that movie. Her is a good shout. That is oh. uh, that can be viewed as like a healthy relationship or a wildly unhealthy relationship, depending on really how you're feeling at the time. I think if she was a real person, it was a healthy relationship. Yeah, it's not healthy to fall in love with your phone. Just not. Yeah, no. Um, La La Land. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> what I Horrible like, ending. Well, I like that with La La Land, it's like, you know, sometimes love doesn't win. Sometimes, you know, you do have to kind of, you know, make a decision. Your dreams are, you know, someone who you love, but won't, you know, being with them won't allow you to exercise your full potential and sometimes that's what you need to do as a person to live a fulfilling life yeah and yeah i thought that uh, worked out but the ending of them kind of accepting that was very touching dude the scene in the piano bar oh my god mm. that's rough um i got two more pirates yep. of the caribbean mm. oh my god <laughs> will is the main character <laughs> not jack and uh also um I was going to say the Count of Monte Cristo, but. I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, there is, you know. Love does win in that movie, but, you know, vengeance fucking won that, you know, they raced that race. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, about time. That's like your traditional romance movie, but it's got a cool, you know, time travel twist. So good. <laughs> um, I thought, um. I thought Wally was a very touching love story. Oh, uh, Wally, yeah. You know, told without words, just, you know, emotion and strength. And mm. people don't talk about that one enough anymore. Mm -mm. But they should. They should. Uh, I love a good love story. You know, I'm not really a rom-com guy. I've, I've softened on that in recent years. There's some stuff I've watched, like uh, When Harry Met Sally. Love that one. Yeah. I watched recently a uh, Wimbledon with Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst from like 2004 tennis rom-com. I thought that was going to be shit. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> really funny. Paul Bettany's this kind of charming British tennis player who falls in love with like the top American tennis player at Wimbledon and they, their romance kind of distracts them from the game. And it, it was, it was cute. It was cute. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, shit, I have to check it out. Have you seen upside down? No, I have not. It's a movie about how 
I don't remember how it happened or how it works, but basically there's uh you know, there's like the poor people, they live what's called down below, and it's like flat. It's like right side up. But then instead of having the sky above you, it's like a whole I don't know, I don't know if it's another planet or if it's just a city. I think it's a city, but they're on top of you, but upside down. Huh. So like if you both look up, you're looking at each other. <laughs> it's basically Romeo and Juliet. There's someone who lives on like the bottom that you know he's poor and he falls in love with someone a girl who's rich and she lives above him but there's like a mountain on both sides that almost touch and that's how they can like touch each other it's it's a weird movie it's okay it, it cool concept but that's that's about it that's interesting i'll have to i'll have to check that out i'll add that to my list um have you ever seen mary and max Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> that is such a heartbreaking movie. It really is. I watched it for the first time last month when I was prepping uh the Philip Seymour Hoffman uh bonus episode Austin and I did. And that was the only animated performance he ever did, the only voiceover. And uh I was not prepared for what that movie was and how just brilliant it is in developing a very realistic relationship between two lonely people and i just i thought that was so smart and so touching and the ending fucking killed me dude yeah what if she, she like walks in and he's like dead right yes like they're finally gonna meet and he like had a heart attack the, the previous day and is just staring up at all of the letters she ever sent him and i was like oh buddy like is there a better like Definitely, is there a better image to define the term bittersweet than that? Yeah. God damn. Because <laughs> he died happy. He died knowing that he that he has someone out there that cares about him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You know, a good love story is is tough to write because it's got to be relatable. It's got to be realistic. You got to care about both characters. You got to want them to end up together. And that's that's hard. You know, that's writing. Yeah. It's writing character and character. You know, characters are tough. Because, you know, you want to go big, you know, but sometimes less is more. And, you know, if you if, if if people can connect to your characters, you have a better chance of making this work. And I think The Princess Bride works largely because the characters are very realistic. They're not like larger than life. They're just kind of people living in this larger than life world. And yeah. I, I love that. There's relatable stuff, you know, like Inigo Montoya just, you know, wants to kill the man who killed his dad. That's all he lives for. Wesley just wants to you know, make enough money to marry the woman he loves. Like mm -hmm. Buttercup just wants to be happy. Like these are, these are you know, not, well, I won't say attainable. We can't all be pirates, but they're, <laughs> you know, goals you can kind of understand. Uh, yeah. Just, I think, you know, the key to the key to a love story is writing good characters. Absolutely. Damn. That was a good fucking question. <laughs> Damn, now I got to follow up with this goofy-ass question I have. <laughs> okay. Um, if you were hired by a prince, how would you go about starting a war with another country? <laughs> yeah. what's, your, what's your plan, Connor? That is a fantastic question. I love that. How would I, all right, if I was hired by a prince, so basically if I'm Vizzini and I've been hired to start <laughs> a war, what do I do? <laughs> hmm. Well, I would hire 
the best thing you can do is outsource, you know, make sure it doesn't come back to you. I hire my own brute squad, dress them up as soldiers of Gilder and have them rampage a Florin village. Just keep rampaging villagers until the Florin people are outraged and demand we go to war with Gilder. That's what I would do. And also, I would immediately kill the prince and take over. If I have access to that prick, it's my country now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so he hired you to start a war with another country, and now you are just at war with another country. You yourself. Pretty much. (laughs) I'm going to be kind of the, you know, the the power (laughs) on the throne, manipulating events until the time is right, and then I kill the royal family, take over. I already, by, by creating the the strife in the village, I pretty much like, I'm going to use that to kind of take control of the military. And by the time I have all of that, Humperdinck has no power. His dad's probably dead. Take him. I'll let Buttercup go. She can go be happy. And then I, I'm going to rule Florin and Gilder. And there you go. (laughs) Perfect. Oh yeah. I don't, I've always wanted to be in a position of power so I could just go fucking full warlord, but that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Wow. Thank you for sharing us your war plan. Of course. If anything Um, happens, uh, it wasn't me. (laughs) Tomorrow, breaking news. (laughs) I have nothing to do with Israel. Don't come after me. My God. Uh, What I would do um just just personally this is my own original idea okay is um i would hire a very large man a very smart man and the best swordsman i can find (laughs) and i would make them capture (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) it's a good plan it's a good plan thank you i'm amazed no one else has thought of that i know it's inconceivable honestly (laughs) Well played. Very well played. <laughs> that was a that was a fun question. I like I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk production. The Princess Bride. My main sources for production info today are the plentiful bonus features on the Criterion Collection Edition Blu-ray of The Princess Bride. Short documentaries, cast interviews, production videos, it's a very very thorough uh bunch of uh entertaining shorts you have the criterion collection i do i got it for christmas two years ago and it's a beautiful like purple almost like a storybook box it looks it looks beautiful i gotta start getting some of those they're fun they're the best versions of those films that you can get they have so much like supplemental material the 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 transfer looks beautiful they're they're fantastic i've got almost all the ones i want there's a few i'm still hunting down but uh I've got quite the substantial Criterion collection. Are they all Blu-ray? Uh, D- DVD, Blu-ray, 4K. They uh, The Blu-rays, like they've been remastering a lot of them in nicer cases. Uh, but you can get the DVDs. I picked up a DVD Criterion of Armageddon today. Nice. I can't fucking believe Armageddon is in the Criterion collection, but hey, you know. <laughs> oh, God. I'm looking at the cover for the Criterion. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. It really is. Uh, and sometimes they come with like bonus shit. Like uh, my Criterion edition of Time Bandits came with a poster of the time map. Oh shit! Really? That was fucking neat. 
Time Bandits. That's a wild movie. I love that movie so much. I, f- I found that around the same time I found The Princess Bride. It's got a very similar tone. and It uh, really does. Yeah, that's a fun double uh, double feature, Time Bandits and The Princess Bride. It, it, the humor of A Princess Bride, you can, you know, say I'm wrong, but it's very much uh, Monty Python. Oh, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. That's 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 a very certain dry British wit that I just fucking adore. It's so fucking funny. Like even things that I don't think are supposed to be funny. Like when Wesley's getting tortured. And the guy's like, now, exactly how do you feel? I lose my shit every time. I've um, I every um, every daylight savings time, somebody will inevitably post a cup a meme of Count Rugen being like, I've just sucked one year of your life away. <laughs> I might one day go as high as five, but I really don't know what that would do to you. <laughs> Love that. Uh, uh, okay. So yeah, this is, that's what I use mainly for my, uh, my, my sources here. I love that. I have that access to all that stuff. Um, the princess bride began life as a novel written by William Goldman. It was first published in 1973 arguably his most famous novel aside from maybe marathon man and uh it's written as an abridged version of the actual princess bride by s morgan stern with goldman's commentary throughout and that's all fake and meta there is no morgan stern this is just all goldman trying to be weird with it i i read that there was a uh a lot of people tried to like find the unabridged version would get in arguments with like librarians. Like <laughs> they were like, there is no unabridged version. They'd be like, yes, there is. It says it right here in the book. Like, no, oh, that's fake. It was, it caused a lot of weird controversy. <laughs> that's fucking funny. It's funny because when I uh, went to read it again for this episode, I haven't read it since like, uh, since, uh, fuck, what grade did I seventh grade? Damn. And yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I did the same thing. In all honesty, I was like, I was like, why the fuck is every? <laughs> I was like, first of all, I can't find a, a version that's not the 25th edition, 25th <laughs> anniversary edition. Second of all, why the fuck are they all abridged? Why can't I just read the normal fucking book? Because every time I open this book, all I get is a fucking introduction. That's like half the book. <laughs> that's very golden. You can tell like, you know, that, that falls in line perfectly with his sense of humor. Because I bet he did that largely to fuck with people. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Uh, Goldman adapted his own novel as a screenplay. Um, yeah, I, I read the book for the first time for this, and oh, it was very, um, you know, it's a very well adapted screenplay. It, you know, obviously, you know, yeah, author adapting his own book. There's a lot that, not a lot that gets cut. Um, mm. Upper Dink's like menagerie of hunting uh, huntable creatures was like the biggest thing that got cut. Uh, oh, the Zoo of Death. Yeah, that's not in the movie. Yeah. I guess they swapped that out for the pit of despair, which I thought was a smart yeah. move. We don't need the budget could not allow for all of those different creatures. No. And I just, uh, when I'm reading the book, I don't know why. Anytime I hear someone describe someone as barrel chested, I just <laughs> picture them with like giant fucking honkers. So <laughs> I pictured fucking Shrek. Anytime the book talked about Humperdinck, my God. <laughs> yeah. I think of like, uh, I don't know why, but the Sheriff of Nottingham from the Disney Robin Hood. Is oh, it. yeah. Yeah. Just this giant fat wolf. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, um, 
yeah, all the commentary with the grandson and the grandfather is in the book. It's a little different because it's Goldman as like a child being read the book and his commentary along the way. Uh, it can get a little confusing. So I honestly, I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I was reading the book, I did skip those parts because I didn't care. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's um, manageable in the movie because it's small doses, but it is it is constantly in the book. But I thought it was funny in the book. Um, you know, in the movie when um, Princess Buttercup has a nightmare uh-huh. that that she married Humperdinck and that lady's like, boo! Yeah. Well, in the movie, the grandpa stops reading for like maybe like two minutes before it's like, just kidding, she didn't marry him. But in the book, the the, the dude stops reading for like a day. Like He comes back later. He just lets the kids suffer. <laughs> I mean... How long do I do you think this took place in the movie over like a day? I mean, it's a big book. Yeah, probably. Um, I don't know if you if he came in the morning. Like right in the morning, like eight o'clock, he probably left by eight. When was the last time you read a full book in one sitting? <sighs> probably high school when I had to read a book <laughs> and I didn't start reading until it was due like the next day <laughs> um shit i have no idea well i mean you know there's like books that are very short like the old man in the sea you can read that in like two hours that's true that's true like you know i mean like i read charlie and the chocolate factory in one day like that was mm. not difficult but... I, I think i read harry potter in a day nice nice the first one yeah the last one I, I I can recall reading in one sitting was Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Ooh, man, that's so good. That was a fantastic read. I read that on a flight uh, somewhere. I don't remember where, but I just, as soon as this, the flight started, I, or as soon as I sat down, I opened the book, and by the time the flight was over, I had finished the book. Hell yeah, nice. Yeah, that was good. Love that movie, too. I'm, 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 writing for, I'm waiting for Ready Player Two. I love that book, too. I, I don't know why people didn't. I haven't read it. I don't it's, want to. It's awesome. I think people were way too harsh on it. I mean, like, I don't know what you expected. Like, the kid, the kid's kind of a shit from the start. Like, he's going to make some more bad decisions. So, yeah. it was it was a really cool book. I, I would make a fantastic movie, and I really want that. That'd be fucking cool. Yeah, I'd watch it. Oh, yeah. Um, So, Goldman had been trying to get this movie made for 15 years before Rob Reiner came on board. Just various filmmakers would get involved and then something would happen. The studio would collapse or like somebody would get fired and the movie would just stop. Uh, So basically like this started to get a reputation as kind of a cursed production. Nobody wanted to try after they tried so many times. And it was Rob Reiner who really wanted to do this because he loved the book. Uh, he was given the power to make the movie after he had two big hits in a row with this is spinal tap and the sure thing. And the the golden rule in Hollywood is if you make a successful movie, you can pretty much do whatever you want for the next movie. <laughs> I think you told me about this is spinal tap. Oh, isn't yeah. it a weird fucking movie? It, it's, it's also a meta, a meta movie, isn't it? It's a mockumentary about England's loudest rock band and like their biggest tour ever. They're not a real band or they, well, they weren't at the time they became a real band and actually did do a tour and release some albums. And they're actually pretty good. 
But yeah, the movie's a documentary, a fake documentary about this band, and they're so ridiculous and it's hilarious and That's just great. so dumb. And, like, <laughs> and Christopher Guest, uh, Count Rugen, this was their first time working together. He plays the, uh, I think the lead singer or the guitarist, and um, he's just such an outrageous, ridiculous human being. And his 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 sense of comedy or his sense of humor is so fucking funny. Have you ever seen Best in Show? I have not. It's a movie about people who enter their dogs in like the Westminster dog show and like how weird they are. Hmm. It's really fun. It's mostly improvised and it's just like weirdo people and the way they treat their dogs like children. Oh God. It's really, really funny. (laughs) The best part is the, the commentators during the dog show. One of them was told to research dogs and be knowledgeable about dogs. And the other one was told to not know dick about dogs and just ad lib the whole time. And it's <laughs> hilarious watching them in like Fred Willard plays the, the guy who doesn't know anything about dogs. And they just keep the banter is so stilted and awkward because they don't know how to talk to each other. And he would he'll just randomly shout out like random question. How much do you think I could bench press? Just shit like that. It's so funny. <laughs> what is it called? Best in show. God, I gotta fucking watch it. Have, have you ever watched the dog show, by the way? I've caught snippets of it by accident, and I just think, like, these are the weirdest fucking people. And I bet these dogs are treated better than most children. It's always on after the Macy's Day Parade, which I watch every year because I'm white. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it nostalgic to me just because it was always on while my mom was cooking Thanksgiving dinner. So sometimes... If it's on, I'll like, I won't shut it off. But speaking of dogs that are treated better than the humans, uh, I don't know if you're on TikTok, but oh my God, I keep seeing videos of people like what my dog is eating today. And they're eating like fucking filet mignon, quail eggs, fresh blueberries. It's insane. I've never had filet mignon. (laughs) There's dogs out there that have. That makes me sad. I've, I've seen my I've seen our, like our family dogs eat deer shit. So I know they're not I know they're not uh you know choosy. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Um <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is Spinal Tap and the sure thing and then also Stand by Me was a huge hit for Reiner. Oh, yeah. He found he got the go ahead to do the Princess Bride while he was making Stand by Me. And nice. that's such a fantastic movie. Maybe the greatest coming of age story ever told. Yeah. I, I, I'll, uh, I'll buy it. I'll agree. Yeah. Good book too. Uh, the body by Stephen King. Mm. Um, so before Rob Reiner got involved, here's some of the directors that almost made the princess bride, uh, Richard Lester, uh, Robert Redford, Norman Jewison and Francois fucking Truffaut. Oh, shit. All of them almost made The Princess Bride before random shit got in the way. And Rob Reiner ended up being the guy. And the studio originally, uh, 20th Century Fox, were hesitant. They were like, really? Again? The Princess Bride? We don't want to finance this again. (laughs) Thankfully, Rob Reiner had a connection to TV producer Norman Lear, one of the most successful, maybe the most successful TV producer of all time. He was the king of the sitcom. Hmm. His big one was all in the family. And then from there, he just kept 
churning him the fuck out. And uh, he and Reiner had worked together on All in the Family. Lear agreed to finance the movie. Nice. Yeah. So from there, they had their budget. This was going to happen. Uh, he walked into Fox and was like, hey, can you guys make the the Princess Pride movie? And the guy was like, inconceivable. Get out of my office. <laughs> well, the Reiner's like, I'm glad you read the book, but please think about it. <laughs> Um, Carrie Elwes was the first and only choice for Wesley. Oh, yeah, man. Reiner wanted someone who reminded him of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Could also carry the movie with some humor. And Elwes was like the guy. He had the looks. He had the charm. He had the, the humor. He was the guy. I don't think anyone else could play Wesley. No, I can't see it. He's just he's too perfect. He's He's not, you know, he's not like a like a Robin Hood kind of Errol Flynn impossible to defeat hero. I mean, he gets killed in this movie and then comes back, <laughs> but you know, he's also likable enough where like, you want to see him succeed. You believe he could, he's going to pull this off. Cause he's just such a charming, fun guy. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the nicest pirate in movie history. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robin Wright was one of the uh, one of the last actresses to read for Buttercup. They were having trouble finding somebody who is described in the book as the most beautiful woman in all the land. Um, she was on a soap opera. She wanted off the soap opera, as soap opera actors usually do. That's pretty much where, like, if you don't get off within three years, that's where your career is going to stay. Um, and her agent convinced her to try this out. She read. They loved her. She had great chemistry with Carrie Elwes. They're still friends to this day. And uh, it well, you know, it all worked out. Uh, here are some of the other actresses who read for Buttercup. Uh, Uma Thurman, and she was told no. Well, this was eighties. Nobody oh, okay. Uma Thurman. Like these were okay. all none of like. Well, Meg Ryan was somebody. No. Oh. Uh, Sean Young. Uh, Courtney Cox. She was told no. Yep. And Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, okay. <laughs> it would have been a very different movie. I, I would still see it. Well, don't get me wrong, but it would have been a very different movie. Yeah, I would love. I want. There was a there was a Stephen King short story called Er or Your. I don't know. It was U R, but it was a story about a guy who was gifted a Kindle that could access books from every conceivable dimension. Hmm. So there was like a dimension where like Shakespeare wrote ten more plays, or like. Hemingway didn't kill himself. So there's a whole bunch more Hemingways. I would love like a Blu-ray player that could access films from every dimension. And I could watch <laughs> the princess bride that will be Goldberg starred in. That's fantastic. That would be so much fun. If there's a heaven, that is mine. <laughs> oh man, you're, you're heaven. And you get to the gates and it's the uh, fucking Chinese theater still running. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. St. Peter's wearing like a Spider-Man costume. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's um, weird. She, you said she was a soap, a yeah. soap actress. Robin Wright was a soap actress. Yes. Huh. That's interesting because it, it obviously is like a very different kind of acting, but kind of she's not soapy in in this movie. But I wonder if that had something to do with it because it is a very distinct style of acting. Possibly. Also, oh, her um. She's not English, by the way. Her accent's fake. What? Yeah, she. Her father was English. She was able to replicate his accent near, nearly perfect. 
That's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that showed that she was skilled and I'm, and she is gorgeous. So I can see yeah. why she, why she got this. She was a talented, gorgeous actress who had chemistry with the lead guy. So right there, that's what you want. Just imagine being told no. Say, hi, I'm auditioning for the most beautiful woman in the world. Ah, sorry. No. See, the thing is, in Hollywood, you don't you don't get a sorry. You get next. Yeah, I guess. And then a broom pushes you out of the room and you go to your next big embarrassing failure because you who are you? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Unless you're famous, you're nothing. That's the rule. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, all those actresses did eventually get discovered and they all became famous. Mm-hmm. Except for Sean Young, who pretty much blew up her position in Hollywood by being kind of nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andre the Giant was the only human being on the planet who could play Fezzik. Andre's gigantism resulted in him being seven foot four and 520 pounds. He had to have had Andre in mind. He did. Goldman wrote the character with Andre in mind. And he, that was that was the plan. Yeah. Because I think Andre the Giant, I think, debuted in 69. I think so. There's a documentary about him I really want to check out, but I haven't. Yeah, me too. Apparently, he was the sweetest man ever. He was he. It took so fucking much for him to get drunk. The guy was huge. He he like he would drink like 12 <laughs> bottles of wine and like three cases of beer and start to feel something. Oh, my God. He holds the world record for the most beer consumed in one sitting by a human being. Holy shit. In fact, I'm going to look that record up. Because it's it's fucking crazy. Um, In one sitting, he drank 119 standard 12-ounce bottles of beer. Holy fuck, man. Over a period of six hours. (laughs) Jesus. And then he fucking walked away. Drink alcohol poisoning. He had so much bulk that it just didn't it, it didn't even affect him. That's fucking crazy. It was like a superpower. That's crazy. He regrettably throughout his entire life had severe back pain due to his gigantic. Yeah. Couldn't lift anything, like more than like a few pounds. Like in the scenes where he's like carrying people in the movie, they're on a pulley system. Like he's not actually carrying them because he can't. Oh, do it. damn, really? Mm-hmm. Um and he was worried he wasn't going to be able to speak his lines accurately because he couldn't really speak English that well. So he learned his lines phonetically. Wow. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. He didn't speak English. Not very well. He speak a little, he spoke a little English, but like with a heavy um accent. I believe he was French. Yeah. And that's yeah, crazy. He had a heavy um, yeah, he was French. He had a very thick accent, but he learned his lines and performed him well and was very no, people loved him. He would uh he said he loved being on the set because nobody looked at him. He was just one, he was just one of the guys. He wasn't this giant thing. He was just, you know, he was Andre. Man. Yeah. Some people were too precious for this world, man. Absolutely. He's also the face of the street artist Obey. Oh yeah, that's cool. I had a I have a <laughs> a t-shirt that has a the uh like that version of Andre but like as Fezzik like advertising the brute squad <laughs> that's great uh there did have a contingency plan if Andre the giant um he almost wasn't able to do this because he had a wrestling gig in uh I want to say Japan 
And uh, I, I'm not sure if it was Japan. I'm just, I'm guessing Japan. But uh, if he hadn't been able to do it, their second choice was Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, okay. Yeah. You put him on like, you know, maybe some some stilts, make him, you know, give him some padding. He could probably do that. Uh, thankfully, the wrestling match got canceled. Andre was available and he he did the movie. Hell yeah. Sometimes things just work out the way they're supposed to. Absolutely. There was a there's an infamous story on the set of The Princess Bride. They were getting ready to film, and before they could yell uh, yell action, Andre the Giant stood up and uh, farted for 16 seconds. <gasps> no, dude. Just held it for 16, and when it was when he was done, Rob Reiner was like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "I am now, boss," and continued with the scene. You know how long 16 seconds is. I mean, people were probably fucking terrified. <laughs> like, <gasps> after, like Holy shit. after like two seconds, you probably should go to a hospital. <laughs> you were you're about to puncture something. That's insane, dude. Yeah. But of course, only him. I feel like he like this guy was like an alien sent to observe humanity. Like he almost he had like so many weird body quirks that people don't fucking have yeah it's so so bizarre that guy he's the he's the alien wearing the skin suit in men in black the first one yeah the one that wants sugar yeah he's yeah he's edgar but like if edgar was a nice edgar that's his name thank you (laughs) uh carrie elwes and mandy patinkin who played inigo montoya uh learned to fence for their climactic sword fight uh, they got so good at their choreography, Reiner had to ask them to slow down because they were moving through it too fast. Like Man. the sword fight was was t- wasn't taking long enough. As again, the scene they were going too fast because they memorized the choreography so fucking well. That's so cool. Yeah. And they, my brother, they, they previously had they, they had no experience at all, and they did that epic. There's no stunt doubles in that scene. They're all they're both fighting for real. That's I love that so much. <laughs> my brother uh, fences. That's his sport. Um, and he loves that scene. He says it's pretty accurate. They're actually fencing. That's real fencing. Yeah. Goldman was very uh, accurate. And like, you know, the, the masters he uh, describes, like, you know, Benetti, Agrippa, like that's a real mm-hmm. fencing masters. And these are their real techniques. So he was like, yep. it was very well thought out. Yeah. Fencing masters fucking love this movie because it's very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's cool. I wish I could. I'd like to learn how to fence. But he's like, there's this other thing called HEMA, which is like fencing, but you do it not with, like, um, not what's their sword called? Oh, rapiers. You do it with like actual weapons, and you wear like padding and shit. And he's like, hey man, when I come down for the summer, you want to do HEMA? And I'm like, I don't want to die, so I'll watch you do it. But I might do it. Who knows? So if I'm no longer on the show, I got stabbed by a broadsword. That's a hell of a way to go, gotta say. I know, yeah. Also, like, why the fuck would anyone do that? <laughs> it looks fucking cool. And my brother is huge. My brother um, is 20, and he's 6'4". Damn. Yeah, he's huge. Shit. Well, I mean, that's cool. So it would kind of be like when, like, Oberyn Martell fought the mountain in Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, <fought> brother. <laughs> That was a that was a good fight. Yeah, yeah, pretty mind blowing. Yeah, 
that the first time I saw that, I had like nightmares. I was not prepared for that shit. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Um The Princess Bride was a modest hit, grossed about 30.9 million on a budget of 16 million. Became a cult classic once it was released on VHS in the late 80s, but really 20th Century Fox they had no idea how to market this. Is mm. this a love story? Is this a fantasy? Is this a comedy? Like with studios, like you got to have one specific market to target the movie towards. And if you don't have that, they don't know what to do with it because studio executives are some of the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. It's funny that you needed one thing because I recently saw Lisa Frankenstein, which by the way was wonderful. Yeah. And after I wanted to know, I, uh, I, I don't remember why, but I was looking at the cast, but on Google, uh, the genre of movie, mm -hmm. it says, if I remember, it was like slasher horror slash drama slash comedy slash romance. <laughs> it was like all of them. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I like genre benders. I like movies that combine genres and just give us something unique and fun. That's just what I like. Yeah. But I, I kind of get that from a studio executive point. Like, you know, how do we make money on this now? You know, mm -hmm. do we market this towards the people who like superhero movies to the people who like comedies. Like, you got to target them and hope that other people just find it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I guess that, you know, in the 80s, the, the 80s was full of genre benders. People just, you know experimenting with fun shit yeah. like a lot of films you know found their audience thanks to v vhs thankfully so like these films didn't just get buried under mm -hmm. you know disappointing returns yeah back to the future it's a genre bender it's sci-fi love comedy action yeah that's all it, over the map that was a huge hit so you know it is possible western <laughs> yeah it got the westerns in the third movie uh yeah i i love that shit you know uh, I'm trying to think of like the really successful films of the eighties and like, you know, like Indiana Jones, you know, that's mm. adventure. That's action. There's some humor there goes into full horror at the end of it. Yeah. Like not that, but you know, you also got Spielberg's name there and that's going to just, that, that advertises itself. Mm. And while Rob Reiner had made some successful films, he ain't no Spielberg. <laughs> um, so, the Princess Bride has an IMDb score of 8.0, Rotten Tomato score of 96%, audience score of 94%. Nice. Critics' consensus reads, a delightfully postmodern fairy tale. The Princess Bride is a deft, intelligent mix of swashbuckling, romance, and comedy that takes an age-old damsel in distress story and makes it fresh. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Age-old damsel in distress. I really I mean, at the time, this was like a 10-year-old story, so I don't know about that. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I wish they had somehow squeezed in the word inconceivable there. I don't know how they would have, but I wish. <laughs> you know, Rotten Tomatoes likes to do their word play. You keep um, using that word. I don't, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first time, this is weird, but the first time I heard the word swashbuckling, was when we did the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> and, you know, I thought it meant like pirate, but it's like a weird, it doesn't, it doesn't mean pirate. It means like, I, I can't even describe it, but I know, like if someone says, oh, it's a swashbuckling movie. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So Monte Cristo, Princess Bride. Basically, it means like a movie that has like a significant sword fight. But like a rapier sword fight, not a broadsword sword fight, like a very specific kind of sword fight. 
it's like gentleman gentleman cowboy pirate sword fight yeah it's a French. duel a duel you got to say it like that a, a duel, duel. <laughs> yeah when it's it, it's when duel becomes a two syllable word it's a swashbuckler <laughs> um it was nominated for one oscar at the 60th academy awards best original song for storybook love by mark knopfler and willie deville plays over the end credits uh, i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever stayed for the end credits yeah i haven't heard it either it's i heard i heard a part of it and i'm like it's okay it lost to i've had the time of my life from dirty dancing no oh. i mean come on I, I've never seen Dirty Dancing. Neither have I, but it's a fucking great song. <laughs> I hate that song because my... It's got nothing to do with the song. It's part of... It's one of the songs that my computer teacher in high school would play on a loop all day for three years. He had a, a playlist of like 10 songs. That was one of them. I hate that song and I hate the other nine songs. There's like, what, uh, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Oh. Uh Razzle Dazzle from the Chicago soundtrack. Oh, God. Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger. Who was your teacher? A very old man who did not really know how computers worked. It was a man? Yeah, it was like an 80-year-old dude who was pretty much reading from a manual and could not help us with anything because he was an 80-year-old man teaching a goddamn computer class. Describing the music, I expected like a divorced lady who drinks wine, has five cats... Smudge lipstick. Yeah, it was a small town, Texas. So like, what one one time we went to, like the class went to his house and like met his wife and had like lemon squares. That's uh, that wouldn't fly today. No, it wouldn't. Even at the time, I'm thinking like this doesn't feel right. I mean, he was a nice guy, but like this shouldn't be happening right now. <laughs> that was a weird school. Like it was too. It's such a small town that there's like the rules were different. Hmm. Um, before I get anybody in trouble, let's, let's move past that. <laughs> and I mean, it's been like 10 years since I was in high school. So I, mm. I doubt the staff is even the same. Uh, I know he retired a while back. So yeah, his name was, I know his first, I, I won't say his last name, but his first name was Billy. Tomorrow you're going to see in the news, like ex high school teacher found with 14 dozen children in basement. Jesus Christ. We just had lemon squares. He didn't like touch us. <laughs> this would be a much darker, probably not told on the show story <laughs> if that had happened. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk the Princess Bride. Let's give let's uh go through some categories here. We have best scene, best performance, best music moment, and best line. Where would you like to start? There's a lot of lines, so I think we should wait. Do you okay. want to do actor? Or right. actress. Let's knock out performance, all right? Yeah. Um, Inigo Montoya. Yeah, I went with Mandy Patinkin as well. He is the, he is oh the, he's the unsung hero of this movie. He really is. Yeah, I'd argue he's the main character. Well, Buttercup's the main character, but he's in it. Yeah, he's the hero. Yeah. You don't have a lot of movies where, like, the hero starts out as, like, a side villain's like henchman who then becomes like the main star of the movie and the character whose arc you most want to see fulfilled. Yeah. Oh man. It's so good. 
But I will say there is not a single weak performance in this entire movie. Oh, no. Everyone is fucking killing it. It really comes down to personal preference. Uh, no one's no one's bad in this movie. No. Just for me, Mandy Patinkin is putting in a clinic and just acting his ass off because of the way he approached this. Uh, so he had lost his father to cancer not too long before they started filming. So oh, he acted like he, Mandy Patinkin, was avenging his father by killing that cancer. So he, he he made it very personal. And you can tell in his performance that he believes this, that he wants revenge. He wants his father back. Yeah. And God damn, does he just deliver. It's it's so powerful. We're going to, yeah. This ain't the last time we're going to talk about Indigo Montoya. Like, like if the movie was just about him and his story, I would go see that. That is a fantastic story of revenge. Yeah, I love I, I love that the book gave us more detail about him and his father. I did like that about the mm-hmm. book. Yep. Especially like when he, you know, rises at the end after he gets stabbed oh. in the gut. It's his dad being like, pick up your goddamn sword. And yes, like, dude. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> in the book, it goes into detail like the day his dad died. Yeah, he was there. He watched it happen. Like, yeah. Crazy shit. So good. So good. Um, I fucking love Billy Crystal. As Miracle, Miracle Max. Max. Holy <laughs> shit. It's so funny. He is such like he he should not be in this movie. He does not belong in this time period. He is 100% a New York man. <laughs> it's so funny to see him in this movie. And God, I'm going to talk about him later because a lot of my quotes are from him. Oh, yeah. I, I love that whole sequence. It's so good. Uh, yeah. Billy Crystal just, you know. Shows up for one scene and fucking owns the whole damn movie. It's it's, it's great. Uh, I love I love Billy Crystal. I've always loved Billy Crystal. He's so funny. Oh yeah. Um, I love Chris Sarandon as Prince Humperdinck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He plays such a shithead so well. Like you know, with this and with Fright Night, and I love this guy so much. I wish he'd done more big stuff. Like whenever I see him in a movie, I'm excited because it's like, oh, I get another Chris Sarandon performance, and. Yeah, just as Humperdinck, as this, you know, sinister, spineless, cowardly, wannabe ruler who just, you know, does everything underhanded because he gets off on it, is <laughs> such a little bitch. And I love just, you know, when Buttercup and Wesley just put him in his place. Yeah. Like, finally, somebody just stood up to this bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his fate is to, like, just be ugly. Yeah, his fate is to know that he he lost the girl and there's nothing he can do about it. Uh, I love Christopher Guest as Count Rugen is fantastic. Like he's yeah. he's to me the true villain of this movie. Absolutely, yeah. Like I mean, every like Inigo versus the Count is what is it's what's really happening here. Everything else is kind of just in the periphery for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also like Prince Humperdinck is an asshole, but Count Rugen is like, it's like a little toad whispering in his ear. He's evil. He's you know he's Jafar. He's yeah. Yeah, he's Darth Vader. Like, this is... And, yeah, I just love how committed he is to evil. You know, building the machine and torturing Wesley just because he's curious about how much pain the human body can endure. Yeah. like, And I, like when, when Indigo finally faces him, he just turns and fucking runs. Yes. Like, gonna deny this guy his revenge. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> um, But also, Carrie Elwes, fucking no one else can do it. 
the dread pirate roberts <laughs> um i love that the first time i watched this i didn't realize that was wesley like the performance is so good like the subtlety at the beginning where he's just kind of whispering this kind of sweet farm boy and then later he's this like bombastic pirate you know huzzah like fucking zorro you didn't know that was wesley when i first saw this no i was like who is this guy and, and he's like oh it's the dread pirate roberts and then it's like oh my god it's wesley like you really like i didn't realize it <laughs> <laughs> performance was so good was, that's yeah. so good <laughs> that's great robin um, wright is fantastic as buttercup just this absolutely just likable eventually i mean at first she's kind of a bitch but then you know she's just trying to it's that you know she she wants west I, I believe the romance more in the movie than i did in the book yeah because the way that the book is written it's written kind of sarcastically <laughs> yes yes it is so I yeah I I like it more than the book. Well, in the uh, in the book, like Buttercup, you know, or in the movie, I mean, Buttercup is really mean to Wesley, yeah, and then dude. Wesley just realizes, oh wait, I think I love that guy, and he's <laughs> like, you wait until now to tell me, damn it, I love you too, but I gotta go. <laughs> like this is weird. Because <laughs> in the in the book, when she tells him, she tells him that she loves him, mm-hmm. and he closes the door in her face, and she's like, oh. Dodds because he's a fucking idiot. Book Buttercup was such a horrible person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is an idiot. He for, like, for no reason. Like she had no reason to be spoiled. Like, who is she? Yeah, no. Yeah. And oh yeah, at least in the movie, she's like she comes off as kind of snobby, but mm-hmm. then eventually she's like, you know, she learns a lesson, becomes a, a good person, especially when Wesley dies and she realizes love is bleeding. There's no there's no point in it. I gotta marry this asshole prince now. Yep. Um as much I think I like uh book Vizzini more than movie Vizzini, but Wallace Shawn's performance is iconic. It will go down in legend. He is playing such a smarmy little just people who like, you know, wear their intellect on their sleeve and are constantly reminding you of how smart they are. Are the dumbest motherfuckers ever. Yes. <laughs> but in the book, I felt like Vizzini was actually smart. Yeah, but I also feel like he was he was saying more. He was like, Yeah. His he was he was thinking out loud to make you think he was smart. Yeah, for sure. I think he was just working with idiots. Like I've worked with idiots. I've been the smartest guy in the room because everyone around me is a fucking numb nuts. That's, that doesn't make me a genius. Did I hear the word think come out of your lips? I'm um, reading. God. But yeah, everyone. That, um, they, Danny DeVito was their first choice for Vizzini. Oh, man. And Wallace Shawn knew that because they lorded it over him to constantly remind him like, hey, if Danny DeVito ever becomes available, we're going to we're going to cut you. Like what? At least that's what he said. Like there's there's some he said she said there, but I mean it helped his performance. He was you know anxious. Uh, I hope that's not true. That'd be really shitty. Yeah. What? Now I don't want to watch this movie. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, who else is fantastic? Um, Andre the Giant. Andre's great. He's you know just doing his thing. He, he has comedic timing. Like his yeah. his chemistry with uh, Mandy Patinkin's fucking flawless. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I heard that he um, 
so they were filming a lot of this in the in the uh, English Isles on location because it's cheaper oh. to film near castles than to build a castle. And uh, when Robin Wright would get cold, Andre the Giant would just put his hand on her head to keep her warm because his hand was about the size of the average human skull. So oh he would just God. like put it on top of her head and like that would keep her warm from the from the rain and whatnot because he was just a kind person. God damn it. <laughs> there was a cool I watched in a documentary like featurettes on the Blu-ray uh, about just production stories. And there was one. So when they were filming the Cliffs of Insanity scene, Wallace Shawn had a terrible fear of heights. And really? They, they, it was on, it was not a like they they had a, like a fake cliff face. They were going to, you know, shimmy up for the scene. And he was panicking. He was like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going to pass out. I'm not going to be able to act. And they started lifting and he about freaked out. And Andre the Giant just put his hand on Wallace Shawn's either head or his heart or something and just said, I've got you. You're going to be OK. I won't let anything happen to you. Oh, my God. And Wallace Shawn was fine. They didn't have any more problems after that. Like Andre the Giant just assured him, like nothing's gonna happen to you. You're you're in my hands. Like what a what a kind gesture. Jeez, fuck. <laughs> Do you yeah. think that's where like the stereotypical like gentle giant comes from? Maybe if ever there was one, it was him. Absolutely. There's another story. <laughs> uh, so Chris Sarandon told his kids, like, I'm working with a giant. And they were like, what? You, you're working with a giant? And he just kept telling them this. And then one day they were able to visit the set and he went. they wanted to meet the giant. So they went, he took them to Andre's trailer and opened the door and Andre got up from the couch and his kid screamed bloody murder and ran out. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thought he, he didn't think he was telling this. Like there's a real, to a child, Andre the giant looked like a fucking monster. That's... That's fucking, that's, that's beautiful. I love that so much. Imagine if the kid was like, it's not that big. I've seen bigger. <laughs> oh. uh, that's funny. Um, um, just one more on, honorable mention for me. Uh, Peter Cook, as credited as the impressive clergyman. <laughs> does He doesn't actually talk like that, does he? No. No, he does not. Fuck, man. The way he says marriage. I was surprised that all that was in the book. I, I really was. Yeah. <laughs> marriage. That, that blessed arrangement. That dream. <laughs> within a dream. I couldn't keep it together. <laughs> yeah, it's such a ridiculous inclusion in this movie, but endlessly quotable and hilarious. Um, I want to I want to shout out Mel Smith as the albino. <laughs> His introduction is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, where he's just like you know the pit of despair, and then he clears his throat and he's talking like, "Don't even think about trying to escape." I love that gag so much. <laughs> <laughs> so good, fantastic cast. A lot of movies copy that gag too now. Oh yeah, <laughs> this movie was very influential to. A lot of fantasy films that came after it. Yeah. Because it's just doing its own thing. It doesn't really, you know, 
There's no chosen one shit or any of that. It's just like, you know, pirate wants his girl back. (laughs) (laughs) The pirate is going to prison. I mean, Humperdinck is going to hunt them down to the ends of the earth. Like, this is not over. (laughs) Like, there could be a sequel. There could be. There could be. But I don't want one. I don't want one either because a lot of the cast would have to be replaced. Not really. I mean, if it's well, I like, guess just Andre the Giant, yeah. I mean, they could just have Fezzik. You know, Fezzik died at some point. <sighs> I wouldn't recast Andre the Giant. I would just keep the character. I'd, I'd, I'd let the character die off screen. It know? would be cool what they should do if they were to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. That's how they could do it. It could be them like many years later. Like, you know, keep them aged how they are. And they're at Fezzik's funeral when the prince is like, you know, that's when he swoops in. Does, uh, well, he'd be King Humperdinck now. Uh, I wonder, would like, would Buttercup and Wesley have like a, a an adult child? Ooh. That'd be cool. That'd be, is, is, is uh, Inigo still the, the current Dread Pirate Roberts or is he retired? That would be cool. It would be cool. That's how it could start. Fezzik's funeral. Everyone's arriving, and then a pirate ship pulls up. And it's in go. That would be cool. This yeah, this would be yeah. You know, I, I don't wanna I know I, I shit on unnecessary sequels a lot, especially belated sequels, but any sequel done right has a potential to be a fantastic movie. Yes. Ah, well, you know, Rob Reiner, st- uh, William Goldman passed away a few years ago, so mm. he won't be able to write it. But Reiner's still directing everyone. Almost everyone in this movie still working. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, Mandy Patinkin is actually going to be in a movie this year, I think I saw. He's he's doing some like Hercule Poirot style detective series on who. Oh, yeah, it's a series. Yeah, you're right. And like he's doing some That's other things. No. That's cool. Yeah, he's very talented. Uh, let's do music. Um, the music in this movie is very kind of like it. Just it. A lot of movies have a soundtrack that I think is separate, but this movie, the soundtrack is, it's kind of in the background, but it. I don't know how to explain it's, it. It's more complimentary than it does yeah. stand out. Yeah, exactly. And I like that. Like, uh, I love the music playing during uh, Inigo and Wesley's sword fight. I think that's fantastic. Yes. So good. Sword fight music is good. <laughs> I honestly don't think of any memorable music in this movie because it's very, like, in the background. All right. Well, then I have another one. Um. There's some music playing when Inigo is telling the story of his father. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That's good. That is such pleasant. Just, you know, love music. And it just, sounds like nostalgia. Nostalgia. And like, you just, you know, he's going to, he's going to find him. He's going to find the six fingered man. He's going to avenge his yeah. father. You can just feel it in his, in, in the scene and in his bones. And in that moment, like Wesley just gains this crazy respect and admiration for, for, for the guy. Yeah. Um, I like how when the grandpa starts reading the book, it's like the 
it's basically chapter one of the book. It's just about Buttercup and Wesley and how they meet and everything. But it sounds like the beginning to like a fairy tale. And I love how it's just cut. It's cut quickly when the kid is like, hold on. What the fuck are you about to read me? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the, the the film's theme. It's it's the first like it's the, it's kind of the the rhythm of the song storybook love, but as a score. Yeah. And it is the film's theme, the kind of the buttercups theme, really. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that is a nice bit of music. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got for music. I agree with you that the music is it has some moments, but it's largely uh more of a background uh yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Are we doing scene or line? Hmm. We can do scene. No, okay. let's do line. Or up to you. I don't care. All right. We, let's end this with line because we've been kind of building that up. So let's let's do scene. <laughs> okay. Uh, for me, hands down, the greatest scene of this movie is Inigo getting his revenge. Yes. Yeah. The fight, like the initial throw of the dagger, and you're like. But no, when he I mean, Jesus, what a way to scare us. Yeah. And then him just slowly regaining the, the strength and fighting off Count Rugen and getting the upper hand and screaming in his face. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Because at first Count Rugen is like this dude's joke. <laughs> and then he starts like the more he keeps saying it and screaming in his face. Like Count Rugen is like, stop saying that. He's like getting like scared. He's like, shit. I'm going to die. When, he's, when he first stabs him, he's like, wait a minute, you're that Spanish bread I taught a lesson to. Like, Jesus, that's how he remembers that day as? Yeah. You've been chasing me your entire life only to fail now. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. God, dude. Yeah. When he's like, father, I'm sorry I failed. But ah. the end of that, when he's like, you know, offer me money, whatever I want. He's like, whatever you want. And he stabs him. He's like, I want my father back, you father son of a back. bitch. <laughs> so God good. damn, man. It's one of the most cathartic lines in movie history. Oh. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's such a fuck you, I won line. Yeah. I did this for my father. Like, yeah. It's his, his sword, too. Like, I love that. Yeah, so so fantastic. Uh, so obviously that's kind of the the climax of the movie. Uh, what else you got? Uh, the miracle Max scene <laughs> when he goes in and he's like, he's like, no, 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 he's only partly dead. Ah, look who knows so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they first open the doors. Like, are you the miracle Max who worked for the king? He's like, the king's stinking son fired me. And thank you so much for bringing up an unpleasant memory. <laughs> oh, so fucking good, dude. Yeah. That's, that whole scene is gold. How he tries to get out of it. And his wife's like, liar, liar. Get back, witch. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> oh, my God. Perfect. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and then the, you know, have fun storming the castle. I say that all the time. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, I love the Battle of Wits. Oh, yeah. That is such a great scene. You're trying to kidnap what I've rightfully stolen. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I love how Vizzini is just constantly bragging about how smart he is. 
Mm -hmm. If you're Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons. <laughs> oh, God. Arrogant. That is like a walking Napoleon complex, if there has ever been one. Yeah. Also, he had wine and cups with him. That's it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, when was the picnic supposed to happen? <laughs> Maybe he was going to wine and dine him before he killed her. I guess. I mean, I think that, you know, Wesley, as soon as Vizzini stupidly put away his knife, should have kicked that little man in the face and taken Buttercup. And what's he at that point? What's he going to do? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think Wesley wanted to teach this guy a lesson. Yeah. I like him in Fezzik's fight. It's it also. All three of the, those encounters are the they're basically the exact same in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They even have like normal conversations when they're fighting, which is so funny. Oh, dude, the, the, the sword, the sword fight between Wesley and Inigo, where they're just both like they're like almost flirting with each other. <laughs> yeah. What does he say? He's like, I'd rather break a stained glass window than destroy an artist. An artist. Oh, yeah. my God. My favorite part of that is, uh, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Yeah. <laughs> Humble. Humble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Beautiful. And the like the you know I'm not I'm not left handed reveals for both of them. Oh, it's so the, good. The triumphant horn playing is like oh god. Yep. <laughs> I like when he's like uh, when he when he helps him up the cliff and he starts pulling a sword out. He's like no 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 when, when you're ready. Which is, it's a cool scene because it's like, not only is Inigo a gentleman, but it's also because he, he wouldn't, because he, he only fights fair. Yeah. He wasn't going to, you know, like throw a rock down and kick him off the mountain. Like he wanted, you know, he's, a, he's only doing this to pay the bills. He's not, he is, you know, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but when, like when they find out that, you know, Vizzini's going to kill Buttercup, they're both kind of like, well, shit, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. I think in the book they're a little bit more ready to kill her. <laughs> yeah, especially Inigo in the book. He's like, he's like, are we gonna do this now? Like, we should just do it now. And Vizzini's like, no, 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 no. My plan's solid. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, if it wasn't for Wesley, it was a good plan. It was. It really was. Nobody, you know, nobody expects the Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, uh, yeah, I've got I've I've got all that and the the scene with of the albino. I just I love that. And he clears his throat and tells Wesley about the machine. And then later, when Fezzik just like knocks him out with one, one tap of the head by accident. <laughs> yep. Uh, oh man, I like when uh, Fezzik they do the the, the diversion. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "This is the Dread Pirate Roberts." I love in like the, the the first part of that where he's like, oh, what I wouldn't give for a cloak. And it's like, well, we can't help you there. And Fezzik's just like, what about this? <laughs> he's like, if only we had a wheelbarrow. And he's like, oh, we have a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I love when he like, they 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 give him the, the pill and they're like, how long do we have to wait? He like immediately wakes up and he's like, I'll take you both together. Like, panics. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, I think that's a good transition to the line. Absolutely. Uh, where do we even start? Oh, you know where to start, and I'll let you say it. 
Uh, well, there is, you know, obviously the immortal line on, you know, T-shirts everywhere. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. See, you know, T-shirts with the like the hello, my name is sticker. Yes. Like, but I, it's it's perfect. You know, something he'd been planning to say his whole life. And when he finally gets to say it, you're right there with him, man. Mm. You, like you feel like you've been on this whole journey with him. The Like it's, it's so well done. It's such a good fucking line. It's very, it's short, simple, to the point, and horrifying if you hear that. Yeah, because, you know, that's not something somebody's taking lightly. That is somebody who's been planning this moment for almost their entire life. Yeah. Oh, I like how when when he's running away from Inigo, uh, Count Rugen is running away from Inigo, and he goes through the door. And Inigo kind of has like a breakdown for a second. He's like, Fezzik, I need you right now. He's getting away from me, please. Oh, dude, the, that that Mandy Patinkin sells that so much. Like his revenge is right there, and he's about to lose it. And he's like, "Help me, please!" Like freaking out, and yeah. Ella, like just saunters over there, knocks the door down, and does that. Like, <laughs> there you go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that whole that line is so perfect. Um, one of my favorites is um when when they've uh. The Dread Pirates, Robert, Dread Pirate Roberts diversion happened. It got all the men out of there. But then Yellen, the like the head of the guards, is trapped there. And they're like, give us the gate key. And he goes, oh, I have no gate key. <laughs> and he goes, Fezzik, tear his arms off. And he just goes, oh, you mean oh, this gate this key? <laughs> <laughs> There's some body python humor. The way that, that, that that's still like, that joke could have gone bad it, it would not have been funny but the way the guy says oh you mean this key yeah it's just so like, good zero hesitations like well no i'm not dying for this shit here, <laughs> here you go <laughs> um a miracle a miracle max line i love is when he's like he's like get off my property or i'll call the brute squad and fezzik's like i'm part of the brute squad and he's like no you are the brute squad <laughs> oh, uh I always thought this always made me laugh. I don't know why. It's just so arrogant. It's uh, during when Vizzini's like working out who, you know, where the poison is. And uh, Wesley just goes, truly, you have a dizzy, dizzying intellect. And Vizzini just goes, wait till I get going. <laughs> it's such a dick. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he's an asshole, man. Because he's not smart. He's just good at talking. Yeah, he's a good bullshitter and he surrounds himself with morons. That's that's how you appear smart. Yes. I see it happen in government all the fucking time. <laughs> we saw it when we did Poisoned. Yeah. Oh, God, did we see it. Poisoned and Food, Inc. showed us so many terrible people in the you wrong funny? position. Hmm? I had Burger King for dinner. And I'm not sick. I... I'm I'm ashamed of you. I know. I know. Me too. I thought we I thought we understood each other. I thought we did too, but <laughs> oh, well if it's any well, I had pretty bad Thai food for dinner, so you know, oh, any, anything could happen. Well I'm gonna be honest, I think bad Thai food would be better than Burger King, but hey, you know. You're probably right. At least I had flavor in my last ep- the Willy Wonka episode, we were talking about food and movies. I want to eat the, the fucking miracle pill. I mean, if you take it when you're alive, what happens? You get a boner. Probably. It's probably what it is. It's just like all it's it's all over Viagra. Like it's it's full body Viagra. That's what that is. 
<laughs> and I want to eat the soup that Fezzik was nursing in a go back with. You know what? Ever since I watched this, I have been craving like beef stew. Whenever you eat beef stew, and don't fucking lie to me, when you're eating beef stew, stoop or any, stoop, soup or anything, and you have bread, do you always like pretend you're a little Victorian child or, <laughs> or like a traveler in a tavern after a long day? Whenever I'm having stoop, I definitely, <laughs> I like to, yeah, I have this kind of, you know, kind of like Viking and Valhalla kind of vibe of like, you know, another, like, <laughs> Like I just, I've just conquered a village, and I'm here for my, you know, my my revels. It's great. It's wonderful. You can't eat stew with a big hunk of bread without feeling some kind of ye old Renfair shit. You just can't do it. No, you, you can. can. I don't want to know you. I'm the same way when I eat oatmeal. <laughs> I always like cut up with a blanket. And I'm like, this is all I could afford. No. You're you're fighting off the plague. <laughs> and you got days at the most. <laughs> I'm in the pit of <clears throat> sorry. I'm in the pit of despair when I eat oatmeal. <laughs> oh shit! Great stuff. Oh, that's now I gotta have stew tomorrow. Um, stew. <laughs> I love the uh, when Vizzini takes the you know drinks the wine and he's like, "You fool! You you fell victim to one of the classic blunders." The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, mm. but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he laughs himself to death. <laughs> I um, I had a film teacher in college. Uh, my uh, second or it was either my second freshman semester or my first sophomore semester. But I took an intro to film class where I met Dr. McClancy, who became one of my mentors, who helped me with my thesis. It was like the, one of the best teachers I ever had. Nice. And she started talking about film on the first day and she just randomly quoted, oh, and by the way, just some good advice for you. Never get involved in a land war in Asia. And I cackled and was like, I'm going to love this fucking class. <laughs> That's great. Is that like, was that like a saying before this movie? No, I think that was, I think that had something to do with the Vietnam War, but I don't, I, I don't it's not a saying <laughs> I was just playing a game called Disco Elysium which fucking made me ball my eyes out at the end it has probably changed at least some of my perspective on life but there's a quote you, uh, it's a detective game and your partner his name is Kim Kitsuragi and he um, I don't um, you get into a conversation with him and he is like well now you've uh, learned a very valuable lesson and your character is like, what? Never get in a land war with Asia? And he, <laughs> says, no. he says, no, don't fuck with Kim Kitsuragi. And I knew immediately that was from the Princess Bride. And I thought it was fucking funny. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Uh, I've always thought this was good. I, I, I've, I've used this a lot uh, just in my own life. It's when uh, Buttercup and Wesley are, well, he she doesn't know it's Wesley. The man in black are just running away from Humperdinck. And they start talking about Wesley and, you know, he's bitter because he thinks that she never loved him. And uh, she says, uh, you mock my pain. And he says, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Mm. That is such a bitter pill to swallow. But you know what? I've been there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, really fucked up line, but. Uh, Prince Humperdinck says it. He says, uh, 
if your Wesley is uh, if your Wesley does not come for you, please consider me as an alternative to suicide. Yeah, that's just let her go, dude. Like, why yeah, are you doing this to her? Did. You could do this to any woman in the country. Like, why are you? Why her? Is it because she? It's because straight up that she won't submit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a. It, yeah. There's a line that Humperdinck says to Wesley that is like some dark shit. Uh, it's like right before he pumps the machine up to fifty. Uh, I'm trying to find that. It's I want I want to I want to get it right. Uh, damn, I don't I don't know where it is, but it's something along the lines of like you know if you you know you may have been truly happy. Like, so I don't know. I'm, oh I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna fuck it up. Uh, I'm trying to find it also. I know because I know what you're talking about. Yeah, damn it. Yeah, this is great. Uh, great research for the podcast. I'm sure the audience is loving, loving it right now. You're welcome. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh well. Mm. You got any? You got anything else? Any other lines you'd like to shout while I continue to try to find this? Yeah, I got one. Marriage. <laughs> I say, I'd recently just got married back in October, mm-hmm. and uh, at any time I say marriage, I say marriage. Because how can you not? Dude, I've been to two. I've been to two. What? Well, three weddings, but that one of them ended in a very quick divorce, so I don't count that one. So. Oh. Two weddings, yours and Austin's, and both times I really wanted the efficient to go marriage to Dude. start up. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but if I could have paid somebody off, I would have. When me and Caitlin have a real wedding, I, I'm going to make. I'm going to. I will tell them, hey, I want you to say this verbatim, and I'll just give them the script. Dude, I actually, I, I imagine that, like you know, priests or justices of the peace, people who officiate weddings, have. I, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if they get that request all the fucking time. Oh, I'm sure they do. They have but to. Probably is like a prank most of the time from like the best man be like, hey, say this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found the line. So Buttercup tells Humperdinck, like, you know, I'm going to marry Wesley. There's nothing you can do about it, you asshole. And so he flips out, goes to the pit of despair and says, you truly love each other. And so you might have been truly happy. Not one couple in a century has that chance, no matter what the storybooks say. And so I think no man in a century will suffer as greatly as you will. And then blast it to 50 and just annihilates him. Even even the Count's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Fuck like, me. So yeah. is Wesley going to die young now? I mean, he's got 50 years of his life has been sucked away. So he's but like, has it negative, actually like, like negative 30? I don't know. Sequel, baby. Let's go. Time to cash it in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works, but I mean, I believed his fucking pain. I mean, Carrie always sells oh, that yeah. shit. <laughs> oh, man. When he's like, how do you feel? And he just starts crying. Yeah. When he's just screaming and like shaking at the 50 level, it fucking hurts, man. <laughs> like you feel yeah. that. In the book, I like how those cups cover his entire body. Oof. Yeah, that whole yeah, it's such a great adaptation. It really is. Like it, it streamlines everything that needs to be there. Yeah, maintains the sense of humor. 
the originality. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, any other lines you want to shout before we move on? Uh, no, I think I think that's oh, we, we got them all. Oh, one last quick one. It's when they leave the uh, the fire swamp and Humperdinck catches up with them and he just goes surrender. And Wesley goes, "You mean you wish to surrender to me? Very well, I accept." <laughs> <laughs> ah, fucking beautiful. Uh, I do love how Buttercup just tells him, like, tells Humperdinck, this guy's a pirate, oh, a sailor on the pirate ship Revenge. Like, don't tell the government that this yeah. man's a pirate. <laughs> yeah. He's that. a sailor on a pirate ship. <laughs> I also, I love in that scene where Humperdinck's like, you know, of course, may I live a thousand years and never hunt again. And then he whispers to the count, like, as soon as we leave here, throw him in the pit of despair. <laughs> just, yeah, she's right there. And I like how they leave, and and Count Grogan is like, "All right, we'll get you back to your ship." And Wesley is like, "You can cut the bullshit." And Grogan's like, "All right, sweet. We are men of action. Lies do not become us." Mm -hmm. And Grogan just smiles, like, "Indeed, they don't." <laughs> God, this movie's fucking flawless. <laughs> it's it really like is, an hour yeah. and a half long. It's a quick watch too. It is, yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, with that, let's see what the people over on Letterboxd have to say on our final segment, What's in the Box? What's in the fucking box? The Princess Bride has a 4.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd. People fucking love this movie. Do you have any negative reviews? I really don't know how someone could not like this movie. I actually have four positive reviews. I don't have any negative reviews. All the negative Damn. ones are like, boo, stupid, and just like dumb shit that I couldn't justify. <laughs> so I just went with the funny ones. Hell yeah. But I feel like there's people out there who just have to hate good things or else they don't feel like the smartest person in the room. Contrarians. Absolutely. And those people are the scum of the earth. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, this first one's from Ely. E-L-Y. If you Google the words sexual awakening, the phrase is defined as coming into your own erotic power, which is exactly how I have always felt and will continue to feel about my OG sexual awakener, Mr. Wesley, king of the tight black velvet pants. Five stars. Hey, he's, he's hey, hey, I'm straight. I'm married. to have a wife, but Dread Pirate Roberts, he's a charming man. I, you know what? I don't think it's unreasonable for all of us around the world to have a Carrie Elwes Hall Pass. I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> no, no, no. Not not Carrie Elwes. Dread Pirate Roberts. I don't know, man. I, I, I For me, it's Carrie Elwes. Like, I'm talking Saw, Carrie Elwes. I'm talking, like, yeah. I just Ooh, think that yeah. guy's charming as hell. <laughs> he's in, he's in, I know that you don't watch Stranger Things, but he plays the mayor. Mm -hmm. of the town in Stranger Things and he's just, just a swarmy fucking asshole he's you awful ever, you ever seen a Liar Liar with Jim Carrey yeah a long time ago though is he in it he's the like he's the boyfriend like he's mom's new boyfriend who is trying to like take his family to Boston he wants to be the cool new you know he tries to do the claw and he's terrible at it oh god he pops up in a lot of stuff he had a, a arc in the last season of the X-Files uh oh. He played a smarmy dick in that too. Um, he he's he's been working with Guy Ritchie a lot lately. He was in Operation Fortune, Rouge de Guerre, and he's going to be in the Ministry mm -hmm. of Ungentlemanly Warfare. So he's been getting some high profile shit lately. Nice, yeah, good for him. 
this next one's from Zara. Throw me into the pit of despair because we're never going to have fairy tale cinema this good again. Five stars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, I don't believe that. I'm starting to not believe that because I feel like there are trends. You know, I think I've said before earlier in the podcast, I'm like, hey, like, I don't think like eventually they're going to run out of good movies. But I don't think so, because I've been saying that for years. Hmm. It always comes in waves, I feel like. Well, there's always creatives out there who have some cool idea who are, you know, no doubt inspired by the original creatives, the classics that they grew up with, like The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. And those people can get funding and those people can make their movie. And then we have new original content that the next generation is going to embrace. And that'll inspire them. So it really does, you know, it's not always just, you know, Hollywood with like the fucking tube that fills the jelly donuts. (laughs) there are original creatives out there who have the opportunity to do, to realize their visions. And those are the guys we should be supporting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, recent example at the movies, Lisa Frankenstein, Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams. That was their movie. And it's, it tanked. No one went and saw it. So I'm going to get into this more on a future project, but I've recently discovered the issue with Rotten Tomatoes. Oh Yeah. And it's because the critic scores are always lower than the audience scores most of the time, Mm -hmm. because the people that are the critics for Rotten Tomatoes, all they do is watch movies, write reviews, watch movies, write reviews. So the movie might not even be a movie that they want to see. However, the audience scores are always higher because the people that will go see the movie and review it are the people that want to go see that movie and review it. That's true. That's that's one of the many issues with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, the big one for me with them is that it does not take a lot of effort to be considered a professional critic by Rotten Tomatoes. Really? You pretty much have to have just like considerable website traffic. It's got nothing to do with your credentials, with your experience, with your, you know, education. It's just, you know, JoeBlowMovies.com has like 20,000 people in traffic a week. They can be, they can qualify. No, that fucking blows. Yeah. So critic is a very broad term on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. And there's people who just get off on tearing down popular movies. Like there was a guy, I hope he got banned. He would he would go find 100% movies and write a negative review just to bring it down to 99%. Oh my fucking god, why? Yeah. That guy was a was a pure dick. So, I don't really put a lot of trust in Rotten Tomatoes like I don't let them really dictate where I you know whether or not I see a movie because yeah I tend to disagree with them a lot but a lot of people do still take them as you know the end all be all so I include their scores on the podcast just just cuz yeah yeah and the critics consensus are usually some kind of snappy shit <laughs> um this next one's from Heather with a rose Humperdink, more like humper dick am I right four and a half stars he is a Lord Farquaad type. He is. He is very much. Yeah. Just a little a little man who wants to be big. And this, this last one. I this had nothing to do with the movie, but this made me laugh. This is from Ethan. When I was born, I was apparently a fat baby. When my dad's friend came to visit shortly after I was born, he told my dad, Pat, this isn't your kid. It's Andre the Giants. Thanks, Uncle Rob. Four and a half stars. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You were a fat baby. That's hilarious. <laughs> Still love the movie. Uh, that is our show. This was really fun. I'm glad we did this one for uh, for Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through Facebook, Instagram, or X. Check out our Letterboxd accounts for daily reviews. You can search for me at Connor95, and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to my Letterboxd if you want to read my reviews. You can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of every era of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, feel free to click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month. and All donations go right back into the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions to the show. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music, and thanks to you for checking out our show. Next week, we tackle dystopian sci-fi by way of Bong Joon-ho. In a future where mankind has been all but obliterated, the last remnants of humanity live on a perpetually moving train and are sorted by class. One day, the poor inhabitants in the back of the train form an uprising and fight their way to the front in the 2013 action thriller Snowpiercer. Such an awesome film with elements of horror sprinkled throughout. It's going to be a blast. And the reason we decided to throw this one on is a little bit of a Wonka epilogue because there is a pretty convincing fan theory that Snowpiercer is a secret sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate. <laughs> so we're going to just we're going to explore the shit out of that. Try to find, you know, the proof, the holes and reach a conclusion by film's end. And of course, we are going to celebrate this awesome sci fi thriller and talk about Bong Joon-ho, one of our most talented and creative filmmakers today. Mm. Oh, can't wait. <clears throat> so, remember, the only thing better than true love is a nice MLT, you know, when the mutton is nice and lean. It's pretty perky. Love those. And never get involved in a land war in Asia. It's good advice. Take it easy. Keep watching movies. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you.